Section 1 of Great Pirate Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tisto. Great Pirate Stories by Various. Edited by Joseph Lewis French. Section 1. The Picaroon. The Picaroon. Footnote. From Tom Kringle's Log. By Michael Scott. Quote, Ours the wild life in tumult still to range. Unquote. The Corsair. We returned to Cartagena to be at hand should any opportunity occur for Jamaica, and were lounging about one forenoon on the fortifications, looking with sickening hearts out to seaward, when a voice struck up the following negro ditty close to us. Father was a Coromantee, mother was a Mingo, black piccaninny bukrawanti, so dem selami peter by jingo, jiggery jiggery jiggery. Well sung, Massa Bongo, exclaimed Mr. Splinter. Where do you hail from, my hearty? Hello, Bongo, indeed, free and easy that, anyhow. Who you yourself, eh? Why, Peter, continued the lieutenant, don't you know me? Cannot say that I do, rejoined the negro very gravely, without lifting his head as he sat mending his jacket in one of the embrasures near the water-gate of the arsenal. Have not the honour of your acquaintance, sir. He then resumed his scream, for song it could not be called, Mammy Sally's daughter, lose him shoe in an old canoe that lay half full of water, and then she knew not what to do. Jiggery-jig, confound your jiggery-jiggery, sir, but I know you well enough, my man, and you can scarcely have forgotten Lieutenant Splinter of the Torch, one would think. However, it was clear that the poor fellow really had not known us. For the name so startled him that, in his hurry to unlace his legs from under him, as he sat tailor-fashion, he fairly capsized out of his perch and toppled down on his nose, a feature, fortunately, so flattened by the hand of nature that I question if it could have been rendered more obtuse had he fallen out of the main top on a timber head, or a marine officer's. Uh, no, yes, uh, him sure enough. And who is de pickin' officer? Oh, I see, Massa Tom Kringle, garamite gentleman. Where have you dropped from? Where is de old torch? Many a time had by Peter Mangrove, pilot to him Britannic Majesty's squadron, taken the old brig in and through amongst the keys at Port Royal. Aye, and how often did you scour her copper against the coral reefs, Peter? His Majesty's pilot gave a knowing look, and laid his hand on his breast. No more of that of your love, me, massa. Well, well, it don't signify anyhow, my boy. She will never give you that trouble again. Foundered, all hands lost, Peter, but the two you see before you. Weary sorry, Massa Plinter, weary sorry. What, the black cook's mate and all? But misfortune can't be held. Stop till I put up my needle, and I will take a turn with you. Here he drew himself up with a great deal of absurd gravity. Proper that British officer in distress should assist one another. We shall consult together. How can I serve you? 
"'Why, Peter, if you could help us to a passage to Port Royal, "'it would be serving us most essentially. "'When we used to be lying there, "'a week seldom passed without one of the squadron arriving from this, "'but here we have been for more than a month "'without a single pennant belonging to the station having looked in. "'Our money is running short, "'and if we are to hold on in Cartagena for another six weeks, "'we shall not have a shot left in the locker, "'not a copper to tinkle on a tombstone.' The negro looked steadfastly at us, then carefully around. There was no one near. "'You see, Massa Splinter, I am desirable to serve you for one little reason of my own. But beside that, it is good for me at present to make some friend with the officer of the squadron, being as how that I am absent without leave.' oh i perceive a large r against your name in the master attendant's books eh you have hit it sir very close besides i long mosh to return to my poor wife nancy cater that i leave wagabone that i is just about to be confined i could not resist putting in my oar i saw nancy just before we sailed peter fine child that not quite so black as you though oh massa said snowball grinning and showing his white teeth you know i am such a terrible black fellow and when you are a little out at present massa i mean about to be confined in the workhouse for stealing the admiral's muscovy ducks and he laughed loud and long however if you will promise that you will stand my friends i will put you in the way of getting a shove across to the east end of jamaica and i will go with you too for company thank you rejoined mr splinter but how do you mean to manage this there is no kingston trader here at present and you don't mean to make a start of it in an open boat do you no sir i don't but in the first place as you are a gentleman will you try and get me off when we get to jamaica secondly will you promise that you will not seek to know more of the vessel you may go in nor of her crew than they are willing to tell you provided you are landed safe why peter i scarcely think you would deceive us for you know i saved your bacon in that awkward affair when through drunkenness you plumped the torch ashore so forget that sir forget that never shall poor black pilot forget how you saved him from being seized up when the gratings boatswain's mates and all were ready at the gangway never shall poor black rascal forget that indeed i do not think you would wittingly betray us into trouble peter and as i guess you mean one of the forced traders we will venture in her rather than kick about here any longer and pay a moderate sum for our passage and wait here five minute and so saying he slipped down through the embrasure into a canoe that lay beneath and in a trice we saw him jump on board of a long low nondescript kind of craft that lay moored within pistol shot of the walls she was a large shallow vessel coppered to the bends of great breadth of beam with bright sides like an american so painted as to give her a clumsy mercantile sheen externally but there were many things that belied this to a nautical eye her copper for instance was 
bright as burnished gold on her very sharp bows and beautiful run, and we could see, from the bastion where we stood, that her decks were flush and level. She had no cannon mounted that were visible, but we distinguished grooves on her well-scrubbed decks as from the recent traversing of carronade slides, while the bolts and rings in her high and solid bulwarks shone clear and bright in the ardent noontide. There was a tarpaulin stretched over a quantity of rubbish, old sails, old junk, and hen-coops, rather ostentatiously piled up forward, which we conjectured might conceal a long gun. She was a very taut-rigged hermaphrodite, or brig-forward and schooner-aft. Her foremast and bowsprit were immensely strong and heavy, and her mainmast was so long and tapering that the wonder was how the few shrouds and stays about it could support it. It was the handsomest stick we had ever seen. Her upper spars were on the same scale, tapering away through topmast, topgallant mast, royal and skysail masts, until they were fined away into slender wands. The sails, that were loose to dry, were old and patched and evidently displayed to cloak the character of the vessel by an ostentatious show of their unserviceable condition. But her rigging was beautifully fitted, every rope lying in the chafe of another being carefully served with hide. There were several large bushy-whiskered fellows lounging about the deck, with their hair gathered into dirty net-bags, like the fishermen of Barcelona. Many had red silk sashes around their waists, through which were stuck their long knives in shark-skin sheaths. Their numbers were not so great as to excite suspicion, but a certain daring, reckless manner would at once have distinguished them, independently of anything else, from the quiet, hard-worked, red-shirted merchant seamen. "'That chap is not much to be trusted,' said the lieutenant. "'His bunting would make a few jackets for Joseph, I take it.' but we had little time to be critical before our friend Peter came paddling back with another blackamoor in the stern, of as ungainly an exterior as could well be imagined. He was a very large man, whose weight every now and then, as they breasted the short sea, cocked up the snout of the canoe with Peter Mangrove in it, as if he had been a cork, leaving him to flourish his paddle in the air like the weather-wheel of a steamboat in a seaway. The newcomer was strong and broad-shouldered, with long, muscular arms and a chest like Hercules, but his legs and thighs were, for his bulk, remarkably puny and misshapen. A thick fell of black wool, in close tufts, as if his face had been stuck full of cloves, covered his chin and upper lip, and his hair, if hair it could be called, was twisted into a hundred short plates that bristled out and gave his head, when he took his hat off, the appearance of a porcupine. There was a large sabre-cut across his nose and down his cheek, and he wore two immense gold earrings. His dress consisted of short cotton drawers that did not reach within two inches of his knee, leaving his thin cucumber shanks, on which the small bullet-like calf appeared to have been stuck before, through mistake, in place of a baft, naked to the shoe, a check shirt, 
and an enormously large Panama hat, made of a sort of cane, split small and worn shovel fashion. Notwithstanding, he made his bow by no means ungracefully, and offered his services in choice Spanish, but spoke English as soon as he heard who we were. "'Pray, sir, are you the master of that vessel?' said the lieutenant. "'No, sir, I am the mate, and I learn you are desirous of a passage to Jamaica.' This was spoken in a broad Scotch accent. "'Yes, we are,' said I, in very great astonishment. "'But we will not sail with the devil, and whoever saw a negro Scotchman before the spirit of Nickel Jarvey conjured into a blackamoor's skin?' The fellow laughed. "'I am black, as you see. So were my father and mother before me.' and he looked at me, as much as to say I have read the book you quote from, but I was born in the good town of Port Glasgow notwithstanding, and many a voyage I have made as the cabin boy and cook in the good ship the Peggy Bogle with worthy old Jock Hunter, but that matters not. I was told you wanted to go to Jamaica. I dare say our captain will take you for a moderate passage money." but here he comes to speak for himself. Captain Vanderbosch, here are two shipwrecked British officers who wish to be put on shore on the east end of Jamaica. Will you take them, and what will you charge for their passage? The man he spoke to was nearly as tall as himself. He was a sunburnt, angular, raw-boned, iron-visaged veteran, with a nose in shape and colour like the bowl of his own pipe, but not at all, according to the received idea, like a Dutchman. His dress was quizzical enough, white trousers, a long flapped embroidered waistcoat that might have belonged to a Spanish grandee, with an old-fashioned French-cut coat showing the frayed marks where the lace had been stripped off, voluminous in the skirts, but very tight in the sleeves, which were so short as to leave his large, bony paws and six inches of his arm above the wrist exposed. Altogether it fitted him like a purser's shirt on a hand-spike. "'They for one hundred taler I will land them safe in Machinol Bay. But how shall we manage, Williamson? The cabin wash point yesterday.' The Scotch negro nodded. "'Never mind. I dare say the smell of the paint won't signify to the gentleman.' The bargain was ratified. We agreed to pay the stipulated sum, and that same evening, having dropped down with the last of the sea-breeze, we set sail from Boca Chica, and began working up under the lee of the headland of Punta Canoa. When off the San Domingo gate we burned a blue light which was immediately answered by another inshore of us. In the glare we could perceive two boats full of men. Anyone who has ever played at Snapdragon can imagine the unearthly appearance of objects when seen by this species of firework. In the present instance it was held aloft on a boat-hook, and cast a strong spectral light on the band of lawless ruffians, 
who were so crowded together that they entirely filled the boats, no part of which could be seen. It seemed as if two clusters of fiends, suddenly vomited forth from hell, were floating on the surface of the midnight sea, in the midst of brimstone flames. In a few moments our crew was strengthened by about forty as ugly Christians as I ever set eyes on. They were of all ages, countries, complexions, and tongues, and looked as if they had been kidnapped by a press-gang as they had knocked off from the Tower of Babel. From the moment they came on board, Captain Vanderbosch was shorn of all his glory, and sank into the petty officer, while, to our amazement, the Scottish negro took the command, evincing great coolness, energy, and skill. He ordered the schooner to be war as soon as we had shipped the men, and laid her head off the land, then set all hands to shift the old suit of sails, and to bend new ones. "'Why did you not shift your canvas before we started?' said I to the Dutch captain, or mate, or whatever he might be. "'Why won't you be content to take a quiet passage, and hax no question?' was the uncivil rejoinder, which I felt inclined to resent, until I remembered that we were in the hands of the Philistines, where a quarrel would have been worse than useless.' I was gulping down the insult as well as I could when the black captain came aft and, with the air of an equal, invited us into the cabin to take a glass of grog. We had scarcely sat down before we heard a noise like the swaying up of guns or some other heavy articles from the hold. I caught Mr. Splinter's eye. He nodded, but said nothing. In half an hour afterwards, when we went on deck, we saw by the light of the moon twelve eighteen-pound carronades mounted, six of a side, with their accompaniments of rammers and sponges, water-buckets, boxes of round grape, and canister and tubs of wadding, while the combings of the hatchways were thickly studded with round shot. The tarpaulin and lumber forward had disappeared, and there lay long Tom, ready leveled, grinning on his pivot. The ropes were all coiled away and laid down in regular man-of-war fashion, while an ugly gruff beast of a Spanish mulatto, apparently the officer of the watch, walked the weather-side of the quarter-deck in true pendulum style. Lookouts were placed aft and at the gangways and bows, who every now and then passed the word to keep the bright lookout while the rest of the watch were stretched silent, but evidently broad awake, under the lee of the boat. We noticed that each man had his cutlass buckled round his waist, that the boarding-pikes had been cut loose from the main boom round which they had been stopped, and that about thirty muskets were ranged along a fixed rack that ran athwart ships near the main hatchway. By the time we had reconnoitred thus far, the night became overcast, and a thick bank of clouds began to rise to windward. Some heavy drops of rain fell, and the thunder grumbled at a distance. The veil crept gradually on, 
until it shrouded the whole firmament and left us in as dark a night as ever poor devils were out in by and by a narrow streak of bright moonlight appeared under the lower edge of the bank defining the dark outlines of the tumbling multitudinous billows on the horizon as distinctly as if they had been pasteboard waves in a theatre is that a sail to windward in the clear think you said mr splinter to me in a whisper at this moment it lightened vividly i am sure it is continued he i could see her white canvas glance just now i looked steadily and at last caught the small dark speck against the bright background rising and falling on the swell of the sea like a feather as we stood on she was seen more distinctly but to all appearance nobody was aware of her proximity we were mistaken in this however for the captain suddenly jumped on a gun and gave his orders with a fiery energy that startled us La Rue! a small french boy was at his side in a moment forward and call all hands to short and sail but doucement ye land crab man the four clue garnets hands by the top-gallant clue lines jib down hole rise tacks and sheets peak and throat halyards let go clue up settle away the main gaff there in almost as short a space as i have taken to write it every inch of canvas was close furled every light except the one in the binnacle and that was cautiously masked carefully extinguished a hundred and twenty men at quarters and the ship under bare poles the head-yards were then squared and we bore up before the wind the stratagem proved successful the strange sail could be seen through the night-glasses cracking on close to the wind evidently under the impression that we had tacked there she goes chasing de gobel said the dutchman she now burned a blue light by which we saw she was a heavy cutter without doubt our old fellow-cruiser the spark the dutchman had come to the same conclusion my eye captain no use to dodge from her it is only that footy little king's cutter on the jamaica station it is her true enough answered williamson and she is from santa martha with a freight of specie i know i will try a brush with her by splinter struck in before he could finish his irreverent exclamation if your conjecture be true i know the craft a heavy vessel of her class and you may depend on hard knocks and small profit if you do take her while if she takes you i'll be hanged if she does and he grinned at the conceit then setting his teeth hard or rather i will blow the schooner up with my own hand before i strike better than that to have one's bones bleached in chains on a quay at port royal but you see you cannot control us gentlemen so get down into the cable tier and take peter mangrove with you i would not willingly see those come to harm who have trusted me however there was no shot flying as yet 
We therefore stayed on deck. All sail was once more made, the carronades were cast loose on both sides, and double-shotted, the long gun slewed round, the tack of the fore-and-aft foresail hauled up, and we kept by the wind, and stood after the cutter, whose white canvas we could still see through the gloom like a snow-wreath. As soon as she saw us, she tacked and stood toward us, and came bowling along gallantly, with the water roaring and flashing at her bows. As the vessels neared each other, they both shortened sail, and finding that we could not weather her, we steered close under her lee. As we crossed on opposite tacks, her commander hailed, "'Ho, the brigantine, ahoy!' Hello, sung out the blackie as he backed his main topsail. What schooner is that? The Spanish schooner Caridad. Whence and whither bound? Cartagena to Puerto Rico. Heave to and send your boat on board. We have none that will swim, sir. Very well. Bring two and I will send mine. Call away the boarders said our captain, in a low, stern tone. Let them crouch out of sight behind the boat. The cutter wore, and hove to, under our lee quarter, within pistol-shot, were heard the rattle of the ropes running through the davit-blocks, and the splash of the jolly-boat touching the water, then the measured stroke of the oars as they glanced like silver in the sparkling sea, and a voice calling out, "'Give way, my lads!' The character of the vessel we were on board of was now evident, and the bitter reflection that we were chained to the stake on board of a pirate, on the eve of a fierce contest with one of our own cruisers, was aggravated by the consideration that the cutter had fallen into a snare by which a whole boat's crew would be sacrificed before a shot was fired. I watched my opportunity as she pulled up alongside and called out, leaning well over the nettings, "'Get back to your ship! Treachery! Get back to your ship!' The little French serpent was at my side with a speed of thought, his long, clear knife glancing in one hand, while the fingers of the other were laid on his lips. He could not have said more plainly, "'Hold your tongue, or I'll cut your throat!' But Sneezer now startled him by rushing between us and giving a short, angry growl. The officer in the boat had heard me imperfectly. He rose up. I won't go back, my good man, until I see what you are made of. And as he spoke he sprang on board, but the instant he got over the bulwarks he was caught by two strong hands, gagged, and thrown bodily down the main hatchway. Heave! cried a voice, and with a will! and four cold thirty-two-pound shot were hove at once into the boat alongside, which, crashing through her bottom, swamped her in a moment, precipitating the miserable crew into the boiling sea. Their shrieks still ring in my ears as they clung to the oars and some loose planks of the boat. "'Bring up the officer and take out the gag,' said Williamson. Poor Walcom, who had been an old messmate of mine, was now dragged to the gangway half-naked, his face bleeding and heavily ironed. 
when the blackamoor, clapping a pistol to his head, bid him, as he feared instant death, hail that the boat had swamped under the counter, and to send another. The poor fellow, who appeared stunned and confused, did so, but without seeming to know what he said. "'Good God!' said Mr. Splinter. "'Don't you mean to pick up the boat's crew?' The blood curdled to my heart as the black savage answered in a voice of thunder, "'Let them drown and be damned! Fail and stand on!' But the clouds by this time broke away, and the mild moon shone clear and bright once more upon this scene of most atrocious villainy. By her light the cutter's people could see that there was no one struggling in the water now, and that the people must either have been saved, or were past all earthly aid, but the infamous deception was not entirely at an end. The captain of the cutter, seeing we were making sail, did the same, and, after having shot ahead of us, hailed once more, "'Mr. Welcome, why don't you run to leeward and heave to, sir?' "'Answer him instantly and hail again for another boat,' said the sable fiend, and cocked his pistol. The click went to my heart. The young midshipman turned his pale, mild countenance, laced with his blood, upwards toward the moon and stars, as one who had looked his last upon earth. The large tears were flowing down his cheeks and mingling with the crimson streaks, and a flood of silver light fell on the fine features of the poor boy as he said firmly, Never. The miscreant fired, and he fell dead. Up with the helm and wear across her stern. The order was obeyed. Fire! The whole broadside was poured in, and we could hear the shot rattle and tear across the cutter's deck, and the shrieks and groans of the wounded, while the white splinters glanced away in all directions. We now ranged alongside, and close action commenced, and never do I expect to see such an infernal scene again. Up to this moment there had been neither confusion nor noise on board the pirate. All had been coolness and order. But when the yards locked, the crew broke loose from all control. They ceased to be men. They were demons, and they threw their own dead and wounded, as they were mown down like grass by the cutter's grape, indiscriminately down the hatchways to get clear of them. They had stripped themselves almost naked, and although they fought with the most desperate courage, yelling and cursing, each in his own tongue most hideously, yet their very numbers, pent up in a small vessel, were against them. At length, amidst the fire and smoke and hellish uproar, we could see that the deck had become a very shambles, and unless they soon carried the cutter by boarding, it was clear that the coolness and discipline of my own glorious service must prevail, even against such fearful odds, the superior size of the vessel, the number of guns and heavier metal. The pirates seemed aware of this themselves, for they now made a desperate attempt forward to carry their antagonist by boarding, led on by the black captain. Just at this moment the cutter's main boom fell across the schooner's deck, close to where we were sheltering ourselves from the shot the best way we could, 
and while the rush forward was being made by a sudden impulse splinter and i followed by peter and the dog who with wonderful sagacity seeing the uselessness of resistance had cowered quietly by my side during the whole row scrambled along it as the cutter's people were repelling the attack on her bow and all four of us in our haste jumped down on the poor irishman at the wheel murder fire rape and robbery it is capsized stove in sunk burned and destroyed i am captain captain we are carried aft here oh hubbaboo for patrick donnelly there was no time to be lost if any of the crew came aft we were dead men so we tumbled down through the cabin skylight men and beast the hatch having been knocked off by a shot and stowed ourselves away in the side berths the noise on deck soon ceased the cannon were again plied gradually the fire slackened and we could hear that the pirate had scraped clear and escaped some time after this the lieutenant commanding the cutter came down poor mr douglas both mr splinter and i knew him well he sat down and covered his face with his hands while the blood oozed down between his fingers he had received a cutlass wound on the head in the attack his right arm was bound up with his neckcloth and he was very pale steward bring me a light ask the doctor how many are killed and wounded and do you hear tell him to come to me when he is done forward but not a moment sooner to have been so mauled and duped by a buccaneer and my poor boat's crew splinter groaned he started but at this moment the man returned again thirteen killed your honour and fifteen wounded scarcely one of us untouched the poor fellow's own skull was bound round with a bloody cloth god help me god help me but they have died the death of men who knows what death the poor fellows in the boat have died here he was cut short by a tremendous scuffle on the ladder down which an old quartermaster was trundled neck and crop into the cabin how now jones please your honour said the man as soon as he had gathered himself up and had time to turn his quid and smooth down his hair but again the uproar was renewed and donnelly was lugged in scrambling and struggling between two seamen this here irish chap your honour has lost his wits if so be he ever had any your honour he has gone mad through fright fright be damned roared donnelly no man ever frighted me but as his honour was skewering them bloody thieves forward i was boarded and carried after by the devil your honour pooped by beelzebub by gad and he rapped his fist on the table until everything on it danced again there were four of em your honour a black one and two blue ones and a piebald one with far legs and a bushy tail each with two horns on his head for all the world like those on father mccleary's red cow no she was humbled is father clanahan's i mean no not his neither for his was the parish bull fed i don't know what i mean except that they all had harns on their heads and vomited fire and each one of them had a tail at his stern twisting and twining like a conger eel with a blue light on the end of it and that's a lie if ever there was one exclaimed peter mangrove jumping from the berth look at me you irish teeth and tell me if i have a blue light or a conger eel in my stern 
this was too much for poor Donnelly. He yelled out, "'You'll believe your own eyes now, your honor, when you seen one of them bodily before you. Let me go! Let me go!' And rushing up the ladder, he would, in all probability, have ended his earthly career in the salt sea, had his bullet head not encountered the broadest part of the purser, who was in the act of descending, with such violence that he shot him out of the companion several feet above the deck, as if he had been discharged from a culverin, but the recoil sent poor Donnelly, stunned and senseless, to the bottom of the ladder. There was no standing all this. We laughed outright, and made ourselves known to Mr. Douglas, who received us cordially, and in a week we were landed at Port Royal. End of section one. Recording by Tisto. T-Y-S-T-O dot com.